0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Charles Krauthammer, celebrated U.S. conservative author, columnist, broadcaster, released an announcement yesterday that he has perhaps only weeks remaining to live because cancer has spread throughout his body. He also has a great Canadian influence. He went to school in Montreal... And went to university at McGill University. He graduated from uh, from from the university, and always had a great love for Canada. 2014, I had the opportunity to uh, speak with Charles Krauthammer. I want to play back some of that interview. Here's how it started, and Barack Obama had just made a major announcement. Have a listen. Charles, uh, President Obama this week delivered his State of the Union address. I, I kept waiting for something of real interest and didn't hear much of anything. Minimum wage, unemployment benefits, as well as the threat to go it alone in his office with his pen on his phone. Not much of a threat metaphor, I don't think. But can he do much with just the stroke of a pen in the Oval Office? And I know you wrote a column recently that America now has a Senate with no rules and a president without boundaries.
1: Yes, there but- he has a sort of trampled the clear constitutional uh, over the constitutional constraints of the presidency. There's no question about that. Nonetheless, there isn't that much he can do, which is why he's resorting to this uh, slogan, I have a pen, I have a phone. Um, I mean, if you're waiting for something significant to come out of Obama in the State of the Union or otherwise, you will grow old waiting, because his presidency is just about done. He's now entering lame-duckness much earlier than the norm. Usually it happens after year six when you have that midterm election and you're on your last two. Here, uh, everybody's obsessed with Hillary Clinton in the Republican field. With three years to go, there's not much energy and even interest. Uh, you might have seen that the uh, ratings for his State of the Union address, which have gone consistently down on a straight line from his first to today. Uh, the lowest uh, he's ever had, lowest, in, I think, in 15 years. Um, and that's a reflection of people's, of his growing irrelevance in
0: some sense. Charles Krauthammer. And uh, when, I, when I listened back to the interview, I realized also what we were talking about not so long ago, that was 2014, and Mr. Krauthammer again says he only has weeks to live because of the cancer. He is so incredibly um, brave, about how he announced it, about life. He had a wonderful life and has no regrets, doesn't want to die, but he's done with his life what he, uh, what he hoped to. Uh, I've been a big fan of Charles Krauthammer for many years. Loved his columns, his political insights, his well-thought-out answers. When you asked Charles Krauthammer a question, you got an answer and a very well-thought-out Answer. I happened to be watching Fox News last night when they made the announcement that um, Charles Krauthammer was announcing through a spokesperson that he only had a few weeks left to live. Cancer has just made its way through his, his body, it's metastasized, and uh, he has a very short time left to live. Very gracious, very courageous in the statement that uh, was made on behalf of, of Charles. I had the opportunity in 2014 to speak with him and interview him on a number of issues. And for the balance of the show today and tomorrow, we're going to play parts of that interview for you. Here's some of what we talked about, and Keystone Pipeline came up. Listen. Is Mr. Obama skating in place on Keystone? And I much enjoyed your column last week, in which you advised the president to, quote, stop jerking Canada around. Uh, I just find it, I mean...
1: Even if I hadn't spent my childhood, a rather happy childhood, growing up in your country and have all the affection I still do for it, I would have written the same damn thing. Canada is the closest American ally ever. And our nearest friend, most generous. And, I mean, just the fact that he has left Canada dangling for five years, just this act of cynicism, to me, is staggering. There are no arguments against building it. He knows it. It's a pure political ploy to appease his environmental left. He's now been reelected. He's not going to run again. There's every reason to approve it, and he had postponed it through the 2012 election for cynical reasons. Fine. Well, that election is way over. Why isn't he acting? And I think it is to appease his left base. He's afraid he's going to lose the Senate in the midterm elections, which will make him utterly powerless. And irrelevant, and I think he's now going to postpone it at least through the midterm elections. And who knows? I think he's likely to say no. Actually, I I had always thought he would say yes. He was simply, you know, trying to time it so it does the least political damage to him. Although public opinion generally is very pro. It's his base he worries about.
0: And certainly, this country is uh, is fed up, as as you know, and our foreign affairs minister said as much in polite polite tones, and the longer he waits, the less I uh, think of an issue it's going to be to Canada.
1: Um, well, I know, because I, you obviously have an alternative. And the idea on the environmental left here, that if we don't take uh, your oil, it's going to stay in the ground, is preposterous. No one's going to leave it in the ground. It's a great national resource. And there are a lot of people who want its product. And you can go west, or you could ship it by truck, you know, by, or, or by rail, of course, which, as you know from that terrible experience in Quebec, is a very dangerous way to do it. But the cynicism of this administration will uh, uh, pr- imply that they will they will tolerate it being brought by rail or even tolerate losing the resource if it can sustain the Democrats and get them through these uh,
0: midterm elections. Charles Krauthammer. And... This is what we were thinking in 2014. In fact, we, to a certain extent, still believe that there's no way this natural resource of ours is going to be kept in the ground. But there's a huge effort underway, and it's been underway for years, to do exactly that. And we've talked about it at length over the pipeline issue. And interesting to hear Keystone mentioned again. And how Canada, according to Charles Krauthammer, was being jerked around by Barack Obama, as far as Keystone was concerned. You're only as good as your word, and he stands by his. This is The Roy Green Show. I was uh, watching television on uh, Thursday, Thursday evening. I was scanning through the channels, and I happened to uh, stop on Fox News. And uh, I heard them start to talk about Charles Krauthammer. And I knew that Charles Krauthammer had been ill. And uh, I I knew he had an issue with cancer, but then I'd heard that he was doing much better. And then the announcement was made that a spokesperson for Mr. Krauthammer the celebrated conservative author, columnist, and broadcaster, had said that uh, Charles likely had only a few weeks left to live because his cancer had metastasized. So um, Charles Krauthammer, who, of course, as we've been saying, has a great Canadian part to his life, having gone to school in Montreal and then university in Montreal at McGill, um, I went back and and listened to an interview that I uh, recorded with Charles Hammer in 2014. I want to play back a bit of it for you now. It has to do with his first column and then the book that we were talking about at the time. Have a listen. Is it fact that you wrote your first column on the day Ronald Reagan was inaugurated, and were you already at that time a conservative thinker or had you not made the transition from the left to the right side of the philosophical spectrum by then?
1: I was in the phone booth removing my Clark Kent glasses, but not yet dressed in the Superman suit. Basically, I began as a liberal Democrat, a great society liberal, and, and I didn't have an epiphany. I didn't wake up one morning, uh, there's, you know, the clouds parting the shaft of light from heaven, and the Lord spaketh unto me about the uh, you know the wonders of Ronald Reagan. It was that I'm open to empirical evidence. I began life as a doctor and the empirical evidence from the Great Society the War on Poverty, all these great liberal entitlement programs, was that not only was it not working, but it was undermining the very communities it was trying to help. So during the 80s and into the 90s, as that kind of empirical evidence began to grow, I began to shift my view from what you might call a social democratic uh, center-left view to one where I'm uh, much more of a small government uh John Stuart Mill type conservative, and that's sort of how I define myself.
0: You begin the uh, things that matter with what matters? Lives of the good and the great, the innocence of dogs, the cunning of cats, the elegance of nature, the wonders of space, the perfectly thrown outfield assist, the difference between historical guilt and historical responsibility, homage and sacrilege in monumental architecture, fashion and follies and the finer uses of the F word. As soon as I read that, I'm sorry to go back to Obama But I thought, where does the current president of the United States fit on that list?
1: Well, I I didn't want it to be, you know, about Barack Obama. I wanted it to be about things that matter, about things that are larger. There there are several columns in the book where I try to talk about the distinctions between the beliefs of liberalism and conservatism. And Obama is the jumping off point, that famous statement he made. If you have a business, if you you are a success, you, you didn't build it that basically it's the state that make you great, and that's the title of the essay, Did the State Make You Great? And I try to make the conservative argument, I the liberal argument is that it all comes from the state, and the conservative argument that in fact not, that the real influences are not government, but civil society, all the outside influence except the government, the ones like family and church, and community, PTA, and, and all the things that impinge on your life and which, and this is the key conservative insight, the great leviathan state, the expanding federal state, the expanding welfare state, squeezes out and marginalizes and diminishes all these other institutions, the family, the church, etc., private charities. And that's why the conservative argument against the great state is, beside the fact that it doesn't work very well, which is, as you can see with our experiment in national health care, uh, the fact that it squeezes out all the vibrant, important communal institutions which keep a society alive and free. So that I try to make that case in the book. Some of it is about Obama, but a little about him, the man. It's all about and the arguments go way back to the 1980s, of course, because the book spans the 30 years where Obama is the latest incarnation and I would say the most, if you like, the most leftist, the most radical incarnation of the American liberal impulse.
0: Charles Crowdhammer, things that matter.
1: He has been called many things, but we just call him Roy. This is the Roy Green Show.
0: just want to conclude uh, today's show on the weekend with a little more from Charles Crowdhammer. If uh, you're just joining us, if you haven't heard the news... On Thursday, it was announced by a spokesperson for Mr. Crownhammer that his cancer has metastasized, and doctors don't expect he's going to live more than a few weeks. But he was extremely brave and uh, extremely um, positive about the life he's lived, and he has no regrets, doesn't want to die, obviously, but he has no regrets about his life. And he wants people to feel well about him and what he's done. He does. So in 2014, I had the opportunity to speak with Charles Krauthammer, and I want to play back a little more of the uh, the interview for you. And this question had to do with his book, which had just been released at that time, called Things That Matter. In uh, Things That Matter, you cover, let's talk about some of the other issues, chess, polygamy, the 9-11 terror attack, uh, I mentioned baseball, and physician-assisted death, which to me is the final act of compassionate health care, uh, to name just some of the things that you included, what would you want readers of Things That Matter to most focus on or get out of the book if the political equation can be set aside?
1: Well, in fact, yes. I tried to explain in the introduction that I had intended to write a book entirely about columns outside of politics. I mean, about all the wonderful, the beautiful things. The things you mentioned in in reading from my introduction. Uh, There are, I mean, articles on Um, art and music and chess and baseball and the finer uses of the F word, which happens to be one of my favorite columns. I wanted to start the book with that, but my publisher intimated that I might have to be involuntarily committed if I started a book with praise of the F word. I start with other things. So I wanted to write about these beautiful and elegant things that in, in fact, in the end, I, write, I ended up writing a book where there's sort of a neat division between that and then the political, the political parts. Because I really thought, as I tried to explain in the introduction, in the end, however much we don't like our politics, however grubby and grasping and manipulative it is, in the end, politics is sovereign. Because if you get your politics wrong, all the beautiful and elegant things in life are wiped away. You know, Germany in 1933, look at North Korea today. You've got to get your politics right. I would say that North America is about the most shining example of a civilization. Yours and ours two countries that have gotten it right, allowing the flourishing of the individual. But you look around the world and you can see what the terrible consequences are of getting it wrong. So that's why I sort of have this division both inside myself and inside the book, between the political and the non-political. And in fact, what I write about in the, the biographical introduction is I had that division that the lem all the way through, because I started out as a physician, and it is a wonderful life. It's a very noble life. But in the end, I had the feeling that it was operating on a very narrow scale, and there was so much happening that would affect uh, large numbers of people, and that necessarily is politics. So that eventually I abandoned medicine at a rather young age so I could be involved in political discourse and in public life. And that sort of reflected that change, uh, that that division and that choice is reflected in the content of the book.
0: Uh, If we don't get our politics right, then everything else flows downhill or negatively, I suppose, uh, from there on. Now, when we in Canada look at the United States federal government and the discord between Republicans and Democrats, we wonder how Washington has in fact become so dysfunctional. We ask ourselves, do Republicans and Democrats remember they were Americans, or is party politics and party power more significantly important to at least some in Congress and maybe in the White House than the pragmatic needs of the nation? And by the way, we ask that of our own federal capital, at least from time to time.
1: Except that you have a different structure which prevents the paralysis that our Constitution was meant to actually achieve. I mean, in a parliamentary system, but you really have a rotating dictatorships, because the executive and the legislative are one. You have a majority, if you have, obviously, you have coalitions, but you, you have a, if you control a majority in Parliament, you can actually enact what you want. Here, you can be president, but if you don't control the two branches, the two houses, House and Senate, or even uh, if you don't control them both, as we can see with Obama, you can do nothing if there's a resistant opposition as
0: there is in the House of Representatives. Charles Krauthammer, as recently as a month ago, from what I read, there was no sign of the cancer, and he now says he has a matter of weeks to live. He added, uh, I leave this life with no regrets. It was a wonderful life, full and complete with the great loves and great endeavors that make it worth living. I'm sad to leave, but I leave with the knowledge that I lived the life that I intended. Charles Krauthammer.